how did you get here today? How did you get here today? That's a lot of different ways to answer that question. I, I walked because I'm concerned about my health, and uh, I tend to walk places, you know. It's important to me to walk, and so I walked here to church today. Some of you uh, got rides with other people, maybe. Some of you drove yourself. Some of you got rides with others. And, you know, there's, there's all different ways that we got here today, and some of us took long trips to get here. Some of us took short trips to get here. How did you get here today? But, you know, that's, that's really just part of the answer. How did you get here today? For most of us, another part of the answer started years ago when our lives took a different direction. And we said, I'm no longer going that way, I'm going this way. And we gave ourselves to Christ, gave our lives to Christ, and we made a commitment to Him. And part of that commitment was that we were going to be involved in a local body, a, a local church, and we were going to get involved with those people, and, and we made that commitment, and that's why we're here today. That's not the whole answer, though. Why are you here today? Sometimes it wasn't your idea. Sometimes it was someone else's idea. Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent who changed the course of your family, changed the history of your family, and said, from this day forward, we're going to follow Christ. And you're here. At, maybe you were drug here. <laughs> Maybe this wasn't your idea, you know, and someone else said, we're going to church. How did you get here today? Well, maybe something this week brought you here. Maybe something just finally hit you and you said, doggone it, this weekend we're going to church. <laughs> this weekend it's happening. I'm getting dressed, I'm going to set my alarm, and I'm not going to sleep through it this time, and we are actually making it to church this week. But the fact is, Whatever the circumstances, you're here, something, somehow, you were led to this moment. See, I, I believe in a God who is sovereign. I believe in a God who acts in ways that we cannot begin to understand, to bring people to divine appointments with Him. In God's sovereignty... You were chosen for this morning. In God's sovereignty, you were chosen for this moment. And in God's sovereignty, you were chosen for this message. I believe that I have something today, something that God wants you to hear. I know that. And I believe I have something that that God wants you to respond to. I must believe that if I believe that God is who He says He is. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. When I was younger, and when I was a, a new preacher, every now and then I would write a sermon. And as I was writing that sermon over the week, I would be thinking about specific people. I, you know, I'm always praying my way through the sermon. But I would think about specific people, and I would start writing that sermon for that one person. And I'd be like, yeah, when they hear this, ha <laughs> you know, I'm going to really get them this, this one. And invariably, the one person that wouldn't show up to church that week would be that one guy that I was always thinking about. And so after a while, what I've, what, I've come to show, what I've come to understand is that the message I have today is for you. 
if you are here, this is what God wants you to hear. And even if you're not here, if you're listening on the internet, because you can do that this afternoon, you'll be able to listen to this on the internet. If you're listening in your car on your, with your uh, iPhone or other device, whatever, however it is that you end up listening, I believe that when we encounter the Word of God, it's not me, but when we encounter the Word of God, we come to a divine appointment where the Word of God speaks into our lives. This is your appointment today. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you, you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying about the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you have heard me say it once, you have heard me say it a thousand times, it is not about you. It's not about you. I've said that over and over again. Just for today, just today, forget I said that. Because today, it's about you. Today, it's all about you. Scripture tells me something very important, something necessary. It is about you. Everything that Jesus came for, everything that he did, everything that he suffered, everything that he taught, everything that he gave up, he did for you. And if you are here today, raise your hand if you're here today. Okay, great. If you're here today, it is because you need to know exactly what he did for you. Ephesians 2 is where everything changes. It's where our lives go from being a story of failure to a story of God's perfect plan for your life. And it all begins with this very amazing transformation, and that is that God transformed you into His masterpiece. Verse 1 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Those first four words say everything that you need to know about yourself. And you were dead. That's it. What can a dead person do? Well, nothing. A dead person can't do anything for themselves. Can they, can they do anything to improve their situation? Do you think a dead person could ever just sit there and say, Look at the mess that I have made of my life. You know, I have really let myself go. You know, doggone it, tomorrow, 
Tomorrow I'm turning over a new leaf. Tomorrow I'm going to change it all. Tomorrow I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to start breathing again. (laughs) I'm going to really change things up tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll do it. I'm going to get motivated. I'm going to improve myself. Can they do that? No. Why? Because they're dead. They can't even get more dead. They're as dead as they'll ever be. Paul says that's where you and I were, and that's where you and I would be if it weren't for God. That would be the end of our story. The first four verses of Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead. That would be it. But then we come to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. And the very first two words there tell us everything we need to know. But God. I've said it before and I'll say it again. That is the biggest but in the Bible. Right there. But God. That's your story. How many of you got a big but? I got a big but. Biggest but in the Bible. But God. Your story would have ended in death. That would have been it. But the two most important words in your story are but God. Without those words, you're just a dead person. Without those words, you have no hope, no salvation, no meaning to life. There is nothing eternal about you but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God loves to take old and broken things and turn them into something new and wonderful. He took a stinky old fisherman, hothead named Simon, and he turned him into a preacher named Peter. He turned him into an apostle who, who reached out and who preached that first sermon, who led the church. He took Saul, a, a vindictive and arrogant Pharisee, And he turned him into an apostle who went out and preached the gospel in places that had never been preached before. He took this man who was vindictive, who who was taking other Christians to prison and, and slaughtering them, and he used him to write the very definition of love that we still go to today. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. Look at the transformation that God made in that man's story. And he took you out of the death of your life, out of your lostness, out of your being stuck, and he turned you into a masterpiece. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship. That word, workmanship, in in the Greek, the, the word that Paul uses, it's where we get the English word poem It means masterpiece. Workmanship literally means masterpiece. You are are God's story song of His goodness and His grace. You are His story set to music to declare the wonders of His grace, His goodness, and His power to save. You are living proof. That God does not make junk, and He doesn't leave us in our mess. He changes us, and He declares us to be His finest work, to be His greatest masterpiece. That is you. But you're not the kind of masterpiece 
that hangs on a wall in some art gallery. <laughs> You're not the kind of masterpiece that people come up to and they just stand there and stare and go, what does it mean? What was he trying to say when, when he created this masterpiece? Paul goes on and he explains that you were created for God's service. Verse 10 says, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That word created is a word that you need to pay attention to. Because there is only one Creator. Whether we're talking about the Creator of the universe, or whether we're talking about the Creator of you, there is only one Creator. Paul says we are His workmanship created to do good works. In the Bible, that word that Paul uses there, that word created, it is only used of one individual, of one being. It is only used of God because it can only be used of God. There is no other Creator. That means that you were touched with His power. That means that you were touched with His purpose. You were touched with His presence. You are not the same person that you were before because God has touched you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. And again, I want to take you back to verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, For, grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not your own doing. It's, it's not your own works. Do you know why it's not your own works? you know why you, you can't take responsibility for, for getting yourself saved? Go back to verse 1. And you were dead. <laughs> That's part of it. And you were dead. How effective are the works of a dead person? <laughs> not, not terribly effective. Can they do anything? No, it's impossible. But the second reason why that's important to see is because no matter how hard you work, you will never be the Creator, right? That word only applies to God. No matter how hard you work, no matter what good things you do, no matter how much you try to impress God and other people, you will never be the Creator. It's not in your nature. You're not the Creator. That word only applies to to God. You are His workmanship. You are His masterpiece created for, energized from God to do good works. Well, what good works? What good works am I supposed to be doing? The first thing I would ask you is, what are you doing now? What are you doing today? Because today is the day that you're serving God. Today is the day that you have been created it's something new, something to, to serve him. What are you doing today? It, it's not about, I've got to wait until I know more. I've got to wait until I'm a little bit more able to do these things. I, I've got to wait until I find my calling. I've got to wait until I get these problems straightened out. I am a mess, and, and God doesn't need me today. It's not about that. It's about now. What are you doing today to serve him? Because according to this one little verse right here, you have everything you need to start serving God today because He created you as His masterpiece and He called you to His 
chosen purpose. There's a little verse in Acts chapter 17. It's just an, it's an interesting little aside that Paul throws in there. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, Paul says of God, and he, that is God, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So when I ask you the question, how did you get here today? The answer is God. How did you get here today? He created you for this place. He created you for this church. More than that, He created you for this day, for this moment. He chose you. Paul says, He made from one man, that is Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God chose you for this time. He chose you for 2014. You know, you think about all the people that came before us. You think about all that faith and, and all of that activity that happened before us, but God chose you for right now. He chose you for this moment. Beyond that, it's not just that He chose the allotted time. He chose the allotted place. He chose the boundaries for you. He chose you to live right here. I think He actually chose the seat that you're sitting in right now. He chose the place where you parked yourself this morning. God chose the allotted times and the allotted places for all of us. And He gave you everything that you need to serve Him today. It's a lesson we see all the way through the Bible. It happens over and over again. God gives us exactly what we need to serve Him today. God called Moses to lead His people Israel. And Moses said, I can't do that. I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to, you know, what are they going to do? How can I do that? And God said to Moses, what's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? He said, it's a staff. It's a shepherd's staff. He said, throw that stick down. And, and God used that stick to work miracles and to lead His people Israel out of bondage. You look at the early church and you look at the people that God brought together. He took Peter. He took that hothead fisherman and He called him to be a fisher of men. And He preaches that sermon in which people respond on the day of Pentecost. He took Paul and He took that zeal that Paul had for the law, that you had to keep the law perfectly, and he turned it into a zeal for the grace of God that says it doesn't matter what you've done in the past, God loves you, and he wants to save you, and he wants to use you. And he took that gospel to people that otherwise he would have rejected. He took a man named Barnabas. Actually, his name wasn't even Barnabas. It was a nickname. Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was so encouraging to others. He, he always had that perfect thing to say, that perfect way to encourage and to build you up and to strengthen you, that the disciples, the apostles gave him a nickname, and they called him Barnabas, son of encouragement. But over and over again, God used people with what they had in places where he had put them. Why would he expect anything more from you? And why would he do anything less with you? We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. I like that we're called to walk in them. Just, just to walk in them. This is a great scripture, and I know a lot of you love it. You go back to uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It's a wonderful scripture. They that wait upon the Lord, He shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And that's a beautiful scripture, and it's incredibly encouraging. But I love that here in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, it says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's not asking you to soar. He's not asking you to fly. He's not asking you to run. He's not asking you to to wear yourself out. He doesn't want you to be exhausted, and He doesn't want you to do it alone. He's not asking you to do something that He hasn't prepared for you to do. He's not asking you to go beyond your calling. All He asks is that you walk in them and that you trust Him for success. It's all about baby steps. That's what it's about. Baby steps. It's not about doing it all. It's not about stressing yourself out. It's about what do I have today? What passion do I have today? What desire do I have today? And what can I do for God with that passion, with that desire, with that gift? And then I find the opportunity and I simply do it. And I trust God for the success. I trust Him in my baby steps. This is the portion of the sermon where you're going to want to get out your cell phone and take pictures. And this will either be really great or it will be really bad. So a few months ago, I decided I wanted to challenge myself to learn how to juggle pins. My wife is there going, I hope he messes this up. So a few months ago, I decided I wanted to learn how to, how to juggle pins. I, when I was in grade school or junior high, I learned how to juggle uh, tennis balls. And, uh, and I did really well. And I learned how to juggle tennis balls when I was little uh, because I thought it would be a great way to uh, impress uh, girls. And I did. It worked. But, you know, the, the challenge just wasn't there anymore. And so I decided I wanted to learn how to juggle pins. And so I, I ordered the pins, and, and they, they came. And I remember they came in a big box. Thank you, Steve. And I ripped open the box, and I pulled them out, and I thought, this is going to be so easy because I already know how to juggle. I know what I'm doing. And, and I got the pins out, and I went, all right, okay, here we go. And that happened over and over again. And finally, I just said, that's it. I've had it. I can't do it. And I put them down. And I walked away, and I was mad. Because I was sure I could do this. Well, you know, you can find just about anything on the Internet. I went on uh, YouTube, and I typed in, how to juggle pins. And I found a six-minute video. Six minutes! And I thought, this is great! Six minutes from now, I will be juggling these pins. So I started watching the video. And the very first thing that the instructor says is, you need to know how to juggle with tennis balls first, because that's the important first step. But, he said, the, the, 
the motion is completely different. When you're juggling with tennis balls, you're doing it all with your wrists. When you're juggling with pins, you're doing it with your arm, with your whole arm. You use your elbow. And I went, oh, it's what I was doing wrong. I was doing it with my wrist. I hit pause on the video. I went over and I said, all right, using my wrist now. And I threw the pins back down. I said, forget it. It's not happening. I kept watching the video. The instructor on the video is a bit of a goofball, which I, I think is kind of nice. Gives me hope for myself. The instructor said, the first thing you need to do, he said, he, he said you can do this, but you're going to have to do it in baby steps. And the first thing you have to do is learn how to throw the pin and catch it. And he said, I want you to do this. Just keep throwing the pin, just one pin, and catching it. And do that until you can do it perfectly. And then move on to the next step. The next step was to take two pins and to throw them back and forth. But he said, when we do it in baby steps, we build success upon success, and we don't move on until we've mastered the previous step. And it hit me, this isn't about juggling. <laughs> this is about service. This is about every problem that I've ever seen in, in every church. This is where Christians get it wrong. You see something that someone else is doing, and they're doing it really well, and you're like, I want to do that. And then we screw it up, and we fail, and we say, I'm not even going to try anymore. Or we see something that another church is doing, another church is doing something incredible, and we're like, well, that's what our church needs to be doing. And so we get a program together, and we get a lot of people excited, and then it fails miserably. And we give up. I've seen a lot of churches just give up. We ignore the baby steps. Baby steps. We ignore the small successes that get us to the bigger ones. And instead of serving today with what God has called us today, to do today, we get discouraged and we quit. But if we put in the time and today we do exactly what God has called us to do, then eventually we master our calling. And now I'm going to light them on fire. <laughs> That'll be next week. But eventually we master our calling and we serve together and we do something wonderful. What's the big deal about sending thank you cards to teachers who have given up 8% of their salary? Not just teachers, by the way, but custodians and secretaries and, and others who have given up part of their salary. What's the big deal with sending them thank you cards? And what difference is a $25 gift card from the BP, from the junction, really going to make in their lives? And it'd be easy to say, it's not going to make a difference. But you know what it is? It's a baby step. It's a baby step. It's something that we can do today. And if we do this today, we will find success in it. We will find joy in it, and we will find blessing in it. One of the most amazing things that has come out of this little idea of blessing our teachers and our others down at the school, one of the most amazing things that came out of this was a suggestion that came to me this week that someone said, wouldn't it be great if we had a meal sometime for the teachers and invited them here 
and prepared a meal for them and told them how much we appreciated them. We tried that about six years ago. Not a single teacher showed up. Not a single teacher showed up. Other people were blessed. We had Kathy Branzell here who was a teacher, who was an encourager. No teachers came. Maybe we didn't take the baby steps. Maybe we didn't start with little faithfulness and see what God would do with that. But beyond us being faithful, God will bless this baby step, and we will find success, we will find joy, and someone else will be blessed. Now, the report I got was that we have already received 18 gift cards for the junction. Shirley has uh, lovingly and wonderfully donated some more uh, thank you cards, which Dave is holding up back there. Two different designs. We need more thank you cards And just simply the message is, thank you so much for all that you're doing for the kids. Thank you for the things that you've sacrificed. You are important to us. You are important to our community, and we love you. Something simple like that, and just sign it, your friends at the Kansas Christian Church. And Camille's going to make sure that they get distributed. I think she said we need somewhere in the area of 40 altogether. We've got 18. We're halfway there already. I was thinking this would take us all month. But the beautiful thing is we'll probably be done before the end of school. We'll have a better chance of, of helping them out, a better chance of showing them. But it's another one of those baby steps. It's one of those little things that we can do today that we can be faithful in and that later uh, we'll see even more fruit. And, and who knows, it's, it's not about the $25 gift card. Although, by the way, Darren and Mary looked at me really weird this week when I went in and bought all those gift cards. I think, I think they're noticing that we're doing something. They had to order more gift cards. That's so cool. <laughs> you know, we interrupted Darren and Mary's day. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. But someone's going to receive that card in a moment. I just know someone's going to receive one of those cards in a moment when they realize, is this really worth it? Maybe some kid did something, <laughs> ticked them off. Maybe some parent said something to them. Sometimes that happens. And in that moment when they open up that card and they realize that there are people who love and appreciate them and care about what they're doing, they're going to be encouraged. You guys are going to be faithful in that because it's it's such a small thing. It points to what's already happened in your life, that you've surrendered yourself to Jesus, that you've given yourself to him. Maybe you've never really put it in those terms, what it means, I surrender all. It's a real easy song to sing. And, and we can think about the big things. You know, I surrender my future. I surrender this. I surrender that. I'm not going to live the life I was before. But what about the little things? What are the little things that you've surrendered and said, you know, maybe this week I buy that BP card and I don't get my soda and snack and Snickers bar every afternoon. <laughs> maybe this week I let somebody else be blessed with what God has blessed me with. That's what it means to surrender all. We're going to give it all to him. And he's going to do amazing things and amazing blessings through what we give him. Let's stand together. Let's sing.